Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 5th of March 2012, entitled Making Our Church a Great Church, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 33. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning. We're just going to be reading two verses taken from the book of Acts chapter 4. Verses 32 and 33. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and 33. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Father, thank you as we have this privilege of looking into your word again this morning. Lord, please speak to our hearts as only you can. You know who would be here today. You know the need of each and every heart And I pray, God, that you would speak that which needs to be spoken through your servant. Lord, that we would all respond in whatever way we need. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A couple of things, of course. As we've already mentioned this morning, our theme of our conference last week, Sifted. Finding triumph through the troubles. And of course, Leading up to that, for several weeks, we had been looking at the thought from Scripture for about three Sundays on experiencing the presence of God in our lives. Too many times we know all about Him. We know all the things that we're supposed to know. But we talked about as we prepared ourselves in thinking of what the conference was going to be focusing upon how that we can experience him in our lives. And we looked at that great, great promise that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. And of course, that and then through the conference, most of this has been focusing upon individuals as Christians. And of course, the fact is, is that the only way any of that matters or that any of it applies is when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't need to know about him. You don't need to be a part of religion. You don't need to be all of these things. You need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. With those things in mind, I want us building upon that in slightly a different way. We've talked about all these things as individuals. When Jesus calls us out of this world and we become part of his family, I mean, we've done a whole series. We spent weeks, even months, talking about the church, the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. And I made light earlier as I talked about one of our missionaries building a wall and Donald Trump going to make America great again. Well, I hope he does well. I have no idea what he's, uh, how he's going to do it or what he's going to do, but I certainly wish him the best in the world. But we've looked many times at the fact that it's only natural. Why would it matter to me if America was ever great, if Britain was ever great, if some of the countries that are your homelands before you came to this land as I, if those lands, if you ever cared about any greatness, it only comes because you belong to them. You see, whether I like it or not, and I happen to like it, (laughs) I am an American, but I also consider myself as one of you, once again, as adopted into this country since I've spent more of my adult life here than I have on the other side. Most of my children are both. (laughs) But the truth is, is that it matters because it's something that we are a part of. 
it doesn't matter so much whether we could go through the whole list of all the nations of this world, whether they are great or not, if we don't have any relationship to them whatsoever. So I want to begin, though most of what we're going to be looking at, I don't know, today, next Sunday, however long it takes us to, to get through these thoughts, I want us to recognize that this sermon is only going to matter if you're part of the church. See, I guess my thought is not in making the church great again, which could be applied if we're looking back to the greatness of the church and we look around in society at the influence that the church has had on our nations in bygone years, that that greatness is not there anymore. May I say, though, that there is no greater institution or place on the face of this earth than God's church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find that in our ideas, though, if we want that greatness of influence because you see, in our passage, it finished there in verse 33. It began with the multitude of them that believed. That's where it begins. I don't know if I remember all the words, but a song that I haven't sang in a long time. But it's a real testimony to that. And it goes something like this. It says, Shackled by a heavy burden Neath a load of guilt and shame Then the hand of Jesus touched me and now I am no longer the same. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. I'll shout it while eternity rolls. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know he touched me and made me whole. Folks, we're never, ever, ever. So many times people, even in their lost condition, that know nothing of the Savior, they know that there's a void there. They know that there's something missing. So many of them are, are, are searching because they, they don't even know what it is that they're looking for. But truly, when we come to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it makes a difference. It changes us. And you see here at Jerusalem, this is, this is the earliest church. When Jesus Christ established his church, I believe that he began building that church with his apostles while he was here upon this earth. But it was there. I used it to describe it this way in talking about the church oftentimes. We find that when a woman becomes pregnant with child, 
she's bearing that child. Well, I happen to believe with all my heart that life begins at inception. That is a living being that is living inside there. But you know, that, that, that baby is there in that mother's womb for some nine months before that it pops its head out. It says, here I am. <laughs> we know that long before that head ever comes out, that child is already very real, become a part of that life. Well, I kind of look at the birth of the church in that way. To, it helps me to see it a bit clearer. You see, Jesus is the one that is building his church. He's the one that birthed his church. That church, while he was here with his disciples, if you would, is going through that incubation stage until that point that it was ready, ready to show itself to this world. And that's what the day of Pentecost was all about. That's when that power came upon them. And we find that that's what we're reading about here. And the multitude of them that believed, the multitude of them that their lives had been changed, that had been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, individually, and we've been looking at those things in, in the last few weeks, how that God touches our life individually. And if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, if you're here and you don't know you don't know, even as that song we just sang, He Touched Me. If that's not your testimony today, then I beg of you and plead with you that you'll come to recognize and realize that even before you leave this place today because there's nothing more important to you than that. But you see, those that believed were of one heart and of one soul, one heart one soul. People in this world are never of one heart and one soul. They've always got some kind of differences. There's those things that, that separate and that divide, but it takes something mighty strong to get them. And we're going to be looking at them. But what I want you to recognize is those that believe, those that had become born-again saints, suddenly here. They were together in one place. They were of one heart and one soul. And I believe with all my heart, the only way they could be of one heart and of one soul is because Jesus Christ was then living in their heart. That will never be. That's why that sadly, as we see the church, the local church here upon this earth, we recognize that though we strive if you want to become a member of Bethel Free Baptist Church, not because we're better than anybody else, but because this is, this is the body of Jesus Christ. This is his church. He sets down the requirements for it, not me. He sets down what is required to be a member of his church, not the preacher here, not the elders or the deacons or anybody else that might be in a church. You see, you have to be one of those that believe. You can't be a part of the body of Christ unless you've believed. We strive. We strive to be made up of everyone. If you're going to become a member, you're going to have to either get on your face before God and become a believer if you're not, or you're going to have to have testimony to present to this place when you believed, when you became a child of God. The very next step that you need to take then is the first ordinance of the church is to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You can be baptized till you're wet all over time and time again. They used to say, where I come from, do you know every tadpole in that lake by name? It won't make a difference unless you've first been born again. You follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You make a witness and a testimony, not only to this church, but to the whole world, hey, I'm a new person. <laughs> I was died with him in his, res, in his death, and I was raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Believer's baptism. You must be a believer. You must follow him in that first step of obedience to identify yourself as a believer. And then I believe the very next step that you make as a child of God or that you should is right here them that believed were of one heart 
and one soul. They came together as one. This is the visible body of Jesus Christ on this earth, us together. One heart, one mind, one soul, only in Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that we don't think different about some things and we don't feel different, but in the end, it's the mind of Christ. It's what he wants that matters to us as a whole. We find that, again, we'll look at some of that in a minute. He says here, Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but that they had all things common. Doesn't take that child long to learn to say, that's mine. <laughs> that's my toy. It comes very natural, that possession. Well, as we get older, though we may be a little more, we may be a little more subtle about it sometimes, we can be very possessive. That's mine. That's mine. The possessions. I want you to know here. You see, I've preached a number of messages with all kinds of different thoughts, and I'm just kind of summarizing some of the bases here before we're going to look at hopefully some slightly different things from this passage this morning, but those that believed, they were of one mind, one soul, in Jesus Christ they were such a part with him and with each other that they didn't consider what they had as mine. They considered it as everybody's. You see, that really messes people's minds up sometimes because in the flesh, if you're not careful, you'll expect everything just to be yours because you're the one that's become selfish. Well, if they've got it, they ought to give it to me. That's not what they were thinking. They were thinking, well, even if I don't have anything, I want to give it to them. Even if I've got very little, I want to give it to them. The focus is always on the giving, not the getting. You don't become a part so that of what it can do for you, what you can do for others. They saw what they had as being with others and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Their lives were changed. They became one in Christ, one heart, one soul, commonly caring, putting others amongst, amongst them above their own selves. There was great power. And that great power was seen in their witness. You see, today, I want us just to focus on this thought of Making our church not just a church, not just a name over the door, not even just a good church, but making our church a great church. This term, they had great power. They had great grace. This was what was seen upon that, that church. What made it great? Well, I think it's pretty safe to say that even though the church at Jerusalem, they were not seeking after greatness for the sake of greatness. They weren't trying to build a name for themselves, and that's not what I'm talking about. You see, there are some churches in this world that they may have a well-known name. People may have heard of them. I don't think that's what makes a great church. Why was it when they were not seeking for greatness that they actually attained the greatness? Someone said it was simply because each one was doing what God called them to do. <laughs> not what I think, not what I want, but what does God want of me? Because, you see, I believe every individual within the body, has a place and a part to play in that body. Is there any part of your body that you'd like to just whack off and do without this morning? <laughs> don't think so. And usually you don't recognize how important even some of those little things are, like fingers and thumbs and toes, and until you have to do without them. Suddenly, they become much, much more important. You see... No church 
just as no individual attains greatness by seeking after greatness, to be great in other people's eyes. True greatness comes as a result of what we are, of doing what God has called us to do. Greatness is a matter not of size. When we speak of a great church, it doesn't mean whether we've got 50 people or 100 people or 1,000 or 10,000. There are churches of all those sizes out there. It speaks of quality. It speaks of what they really are in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have all kinds of churches outlined for us in Scripture, and we have the church at Jerusalem that we're looking at here, and of course we can turn over a few pages in our Bible and we can find the, the church at Corinth. And of course, the church at Corinth, it was still a church, but man, did it have a, a lot of things wrong with it. <laughs> Matter of fact, we would probably find it difficult if we were looking at that church with all the things that are described wrong with it. We would probably have it hard in our minds to even see it as a New Testament church because, man, they had got focused on self. They'd got focused on themselves instead of others. There was so much sin in the church, and they... They weren't willing to deal with it. We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, notice what the Word of God says there. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are you not carnal and walk as men? You couldn't get very different. Two churches. You couldn't get very different of the way that the church at Corinth is being described and the church at Jerusalem here in the verses before us today. Sadly, the description of the church at Corinth is a closer description to too many of our churches today than the one here at Jerusalem. You see, that's where it all begins. It begins with true believers. True believers that are of one heart and one soul in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're bound together, and I believe that we find a number of things here. I believe that we find that in order to make our church a great church, I want to give you this one to start with this morning. There has to be a great purpose. There has to be a great purpose if we're going to be a great church. You see, look back just a, probably a page in your Bible to Acts chapter 2. And notice what it says here in verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. In the apostles' doctrine, the teachings. That's what the word doctrine means. It scares a lot of people. It is the teachings of the Word of God. They continued steadfastly in that which had been taught to them by the apostles. They continued steadfastly in their fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And of course, all these things, we can debate a lot of them. Whether the breaking of bread here was talking about the Lord's table, or whether it was talking about the fellowship in their homes. I believe it was all going on as we read and look together. You see, the breaking of bread was a very common term in those days for 
when you brought somebody, there's, you know, when you bring somebody to your home for fellowship, you got to have food, you know. You always do it over food, either it's snacks or a meal. And it was a common thing for them to come into each other's home and break bread, not in an official communion service, but to fellowship together. But, of course, in the church, it's important. I won't charge anything extra for this. There's too many of you here today. When was the last time that you came around the Lord's table with your church, with your fellowship? You say, preacher, I don't have to do that to be saved. No, but it's part of your responsibility. It is the second ordinance of the church, baptism and the Lord's table. It's right there in our statement of faith. We don't hide it. We believe that's the two ordinances that God gave to the church. So you're being disobedient to God. If you don't come around the table with your church and fellowship around the table with your church. Now you can go ahead and prepare. You can be here and not be here because it'll be your choice. Our next communion here, God willing, will be next month on Easter Sunday before the morning worship service at 10 o'clock. We'll be breaking bread around the Lord's table. And if you're a believer, and if you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, and you're a part of this church, then it's for you. You ought to be here. If you're not a member of this church, if you are a believer, and you're of one mind and one accord, and if you don't know whether you are or not, if you follow the Lord in believer's baptism, maybe you're a member of a body of like faith, then we would invite you, if you can read our statement of faith and be in agreement. You say, preacher, is that because nobody else is worthy? No. Because read and understand the Lord's table. Even in Corinth, what we're talking about, that was the problem. Everybody started coming to the table, and they were coming with the total wrong attitudes. These divisions. If we're not even in agreement on what we believe, on the fundamentals of God's Word, then how can we come around the table without divisions? You don't have to have it to be saved, but you need to be part of a body of Christ where you can come around the table, where you can have that fellowship. Some churches do, some churches don't. We don't practice open communion. We don't say anybody that wants to come can come. We say you need to be a faithful member of this church or a church of like faith and practice. You can come as a guest if you are in agreement with us and come around that table. If you're not, may I say it's not because we're putting you down. You need to make yourself. You need to, first of all, know that you're a child of God. You need to follow the Lord in believer's baptism if you're a child of God. That is the first step of obedience for a Christian to take. And you need to be a part of a local body just like these here that we're reading about. This body or wherever God places you. And that body needs to come around the table in fellowship. This church continued in the breaking of bread, which I believe was both and the breaking of bread as far as the Lord's table and the breaking of bread and fellowship in their homes, we find that and fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I'm just simple enough to believe God's word. I believe that the greatness here was that they had the same purpose. They weren't just coming together for the sake of having some kind of a religious service. What was their purpose? Well, I think I see at least three things in these passages. First of all, their purpose as a whole was part of what we've already looked at, and that is to obey the Savior. They continued steadfastly. They held tightly to the teachings. Luke chapter 24 verse 49 says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Jesus said, 
but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. You see, we'll never have a great church if we're not an obedient church. If we're trying to do it our way instead of obeying him and doing it his way. Before anything was done, we find that the first church had to wait upon God. They had to do it God's way. They didn't have the power within themselves. Sometimes we've got too many fancy programs and too many fancy ideas that we just write God out of the picture. We've got it all memorized. I had somebody get upset with me sometime because we had an order of service in our bulletin because I said the Lord wasn't leading. And I said, well, I said, most people don't need it anyway because we've got it memorized in our heads that we're going to go through. But you'll notice there's a statement in there that these are just a guide. But God does things decently and in order. But God's always the one that's in control, ultimately. We find that someone said that obedience is the key that unlocks the door to every profound spiritual experience. Obedience is the key. We sing that great old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. They had great purpose. And that purpose was in being obedient to him, to his word, to his teachings, what he had given to them. If We don't begin by obeying God. If we're not in obedience to him and his word, it doesn't really matter what we do. We're never going to be a great church unless it's his church, his way. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23, and Samuel said, and he asked this question, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Does God, does God delight as much in our sacrifices as he does in our obedience? Behold, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken, to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Why? Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. <laughs> well, we find that so many times today those same truths apply. Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. You see, I have a lot of people a lot of times, and if you're one of them, don't feel lonesome because there's a lot of people that come to me and they're talking about, what they do for God. I've done this. I've sacrificed this. I've sacrificed that. I've done this because somehow it makes them feel better if they are sacrificing something for God. May I say to you today, God would much rather you be obedient to him. Now, if you go out, for example, and maybe maybe you're passing out tracts or maybe you're out there in the open air witness and you're, and you're witnessing to somebody. i got news for you. If you're looking at that as if you're sacrificing something for him, you've got it all wrong. You're being obedient to his word because he's the one that's told you to go out there. So you can either be obedient and be a witness or you can be disobedient and not do it. Always look what I'm doing or look what I've done. Get that out of your vocabulary. Get it out of your heart. If we're going to be a great church, a church is not having a great building. You're the church. The people of the body of Christ. Those that believe, that are united together in one body. This church had great purpose in its obedience to obey God. You see, our real question shouldn't be, do I think that's a good idea? <laughs> is that going to make me feel better? Is that going to help me? The real question should be, is that what 
God wants. Is this what God wants in my life? A lot of people for a long time here, not too back, wore those bracelets. WWJD, what would Jesus do in that situation? I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what they've done to make you angry. I don't care what you got to do. That's never a bad question to ask. What would Jesus do? We talked in our Bible study time this morning about modeling ourselves, fashioning ourselves after him. Not after the world like we always have done, but fashioning ourselves after him. You see, the only way we know what God wants is through his word. Not man's, not some denomination, not some great theologian, thank God for all the learning in the world, but through God and his word, and his truth. God's not asking you to sacrifice. He's asking you to accept the sacrifice that he's given for you, and he's asking you to obey him. This was a great church. There was great power. There was great witness because they were walking in obedience. Not only, not only was their purpose not to do what I want. Their purpose was to obey God in everything, to be steadfast to his doctrines, to his teaching, to do what God wanted them to do. That was the purpose that was driving them. But not to just obey in their own strength, but to operate in the Spirit. To operate in the Spirit. What? Did Jesus say to them back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but ye shall receive power. Now, here in Acts chapter 4, they have received that power. They've already received that power. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He told them to tarry, to wait. That was their first act of obedience was to tarry and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. They obeyed God in doing that so that they could operate in the spirit and not in the flesh. They could never, they could never accomplish God's will. First thing, they got to be willing. They got to know God's will. They got to obey God's will. But if that's going to be accomplished, it's got to be done in the spirit, in the power of the spirit. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. What was it verse 33 said? And with great power gave the apostles, what's the next word in your Bible? Witness. With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Jesus said, Terry, wait. When you wait, you're going to receive power. You're going to receive that power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and when that power comes upon me, you're going to be witnesses to me to the ends of this world. See, Jesus promised them. He promised them. Yes, he had already given the commission of what he wanted to do, but he promised them the power. He promised them that he would go with them. He promised them when he told them to go into all the world. He promised them that he would never, ever, ever leave them alone, that he was going to go with them every step of the way. He's told them that they're going to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to give them power, and that power is what's going to make them be able to, to witness greatly, to witness extraordinarily. Often, with the very best of intentions, people get the order reversed. They set out to witness, but they do it in their own power and authority. We've got to remember, 
Witnessing is not us. See, sometimes, again, I, I hear the terminology. It's like somehow witnessing is me sacrificing some time, me sacrificing some effort, me sacrificing to talk to these people that don't want to hear. Folks, witnessing is not about what you can do for God. It's about showing what God has done for you and what he will do for them. It's not me doing something for him. It's me telling others what he's done for me and what he will do for them as well. We've got to show them. We've got to tell them. And any time that you tell others about Christ, you need to be in total dependence. You don't need to fear whether they're going to accept it or reject it or how they're going to react. You've got to do it with dependence of the Holy Spirit. F.B. Meyer, the great preacher, said, God does not feel with his Holy Spirit those who believe in the fullness of the Spirit or those who desire him, but those who obey him. In other words, you can, what he's saying is you can, you can want it <laughs> desperately. But if you're not willing to obey God, if you're not willing to do it his way, he's not going to bring his power upon you to do your thing when you're walking obedience to him. He'll do that work in your life. What was the purpose of this promise? What was this purpose of promising them that the Holy Spirit would come upon them? You see, God wanted the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his early church as they were being obedient to him. When they, he gave them the plan, all they had to do was obey it, but he wanted to give them the power that that obedience could bring about true, genuine, great effectiveness. They were to obey the Savior. And in obeying the Savior, they were to operate and do it in the Spirit. I want to give you this in closing this morning. I'm just talking about a purpose here, folks. I'm talking about all these things we've looked at. God is with you as an individual. God wants to save you as an individual if you're not saved. But God wants you as a saved, born-again believer he wants you to be a part of his body, of his work. Anybody ever see the old Western that I watched growing up with a kid, the Lone Ranger? <laughs> Man, he could take on anybody. Tonto would help him sometimes, but uh, he was a Lone Ranger. He didn't need anybody else. We got too many Lone Ranger Christians today riding out there on their white horse and they're ready to, to conquer it all but they're doing it maybe with the best intentions in the world, but they're doing it themselves. What do you say there in verse 33? And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It was the power that brought the witness. You see, obedience to God, operating in the Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, offering salvation, the gift that Jesus Christ came to bring. We see the triunity of God in, in, in all that we do. One writer pointed out Christianity spread rapidly during the first century because all Christians saw themselves responsible for disseminating the gospel, for getting the gospel out. It wasn't just the preacher's job to preach the gospel. They saw it, their responsibility to be witnesses, to offer the offer of salvation. That's what God has left us here. Listen, our greatest task is the giving of the gospel to others, the offering of salvation. Our greatest purpose in life is to glorify God. This is part of how we glorify him, is by being obedient 
operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, being great witnesses, offering salvation to all that we possibly can. The power that they received from the Holy Spirit is what gave them that great power. That's what made the evangelism effective. It's more important than any endeavor that we might pursue, that we fulfill his purpose for us. We find that the great commission that we've read many, many, many times, we could read it in many places, but in Matthew chapter 28, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them, believe, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, teaching them to obey, teaching them to obey all that I've given, to observe all the things that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And lo, I am with you if they believe. And if they're obedient to what I've commanded, teach them to observe, to be obedient to my word, and I will be with them. My power will be with them to accomplish this over and over and over. Folks, our purpose can't be in being great. Our purpose can't even be in just having big numbers. It can't be in having great fellowship. Our purpose, our purpose has got to be his purpose. Oh, there are many things. We've talked about the purpose of God in many things, and of course, his eternal purpose is the salvation of souls. That's what it's all about. And his purpose for our church is the salvation of this, of this lost world. If there wasn't anybody else to get saved, guess what? The trumpet would sound, Jesus would come back, and we would be out of here. The only reason we're still on this earth is because of his compassion, his mercy, his patience, his long-suffering, that others will come. I believe I believe, as some of you promised this past week, that you would pray for genuine revival in your lives and in our church. Well, if we're going to see that, if we're going to know that, I'm saying, folks, that we need to make our church a great church. Not great in man's eyes, but great in God's eyes. And that greatness is going to begin when we've got a great purpose, and that purpose in him. And for you that are part of this today, obeying him, becoming a believer, obeying him, operating in the spirit, and offering salvation to all that we can. If that is our purpose in being here, there are many other things that will come from that. How are we going to teach people to observe all things whatsoever? There's too many baby Christians that they've been saved, but they've never been taught. They don't know how to be obedient to God's word because they've never been discipled and taught God's word. That's our responsibility. We find that we'll look at some other things next week, God willing. But I want you to know, if you want, you can be part of a great church today. But if our church is going to be made great, it's not going to be by man and man's programs and man's plans. It's going to be by God, and it's going to begin in people. And it's going to begin by all of our purposes being one. That's his purpose. Father, I want to thank you today because, Lord, I know there's so much that could be said on this topic, on this subject. But, Lord, I trust and pray today. First of all, that if there is anyone in our midst. Lord, this all begins with a believing soul. If there's anyone here today that's never, ever 
come to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you convict them at this time and show them their lost condition and show them that you're there waiting today. They will but call upon you. And Father, for every believer, there are many here today that, Lord, they've already, they've already committed to be a part of this body, to be in one mind, one accord. Lord, we have a simple statement of faith that is the basis, Lord, of where our agreement begins. What we consider to be foundational to the teachings of this church. Lord, for those that are already a part of this body, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be that one heart, that one soul that the first church had. Help us, Lord, to have a great purpose, your purpose, not ours. Father, maybe those here today that, Lord, you've sent here, and maybe they're not, they're not members of this body yet because they haven't made that commitment. Lord, maybe there's some that needs to make that commitment. Commitment can be hard sometimes. It can be tough because it brings with it responsibilities. But I pray, Lord, that you just work in the hearts of those that, that might be here that have never made that commitment. Lord, first of all, to salvation. Second of all, to being a part of this body. There may be some here today that, Lord, they need to follow you in believer's baptism because they made their commitment to you for salvation. They've sought that forgiveness that's theirs, but... They've never took that first step of obedience and obeying you and being a witness before the world of their faith. Maybe there's some here today that need to be baptized, some that need to be a part of this church. Lord, I pray that you would make a great church here, not that it's great in our eyes or any other man's eyes, but great for you. We're in a dark city. We're in a dark community, whereas most of the doors around us are just false religions. But, Lord, we know that Jesus died on the cross for each one of them. Help us, Lord. Help us to have a great witness. Help us that Jesus Christ can be seen through us, through this place, and that others can come to know him as a result. These things we ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Amen. 